a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, so glad you could join us today as we revel in wrong think. Our show is underwritten by wonderful companies like HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. Hey, it's our uh, weekly uh, confab with uh, Eric Peters from EricPetersAutos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm good. And, you know, I was thinking about your bumper, actually, before we got on here. Uh, remember when regular people could afford to eat lobster? Right. <laughs> now we have to eat bugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw something yesterday about, let's see, what did they call it? Uh, chocolate chirp cookies made with grasshoppers. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> it's very generous, uh, but, but no, no. That's where they're trying to, to hurt us. And, and, you know, the next thing I thought we might talk about was what you and I uh, touched on briefly off the air about this, 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 this bizarre uh, business with Ann Hesch and uh, her death and what might be going on there. And again, you know, we were just speculating because we, we don't have all the facts, but I watched a video earlier this morning of the supposedly dead Hesch uh, being wheeled out on a stretcher. Uh, and there was a, an overhead local news affiliate chopper that was filming this. They didn't know it was her. They were referring to the, the person as him, you know, thinking it was just a victim in a car crash. Anyway, the, the, the body that was completely covered by a sheet, it's about to be put into an ambulance, apparently for uh, taking to the morgue, and it sits up and attempts to brush off the, the people that are trying to force it back down before it gets put into the ambulance and disappeared. And I thought that was extra creepy. It, that was a, I've seen the same footage, and I, like you, come away with a lot of questions. Like, what, what exactly was that? And, and I don't have a good answer for you. Um, I think it's tragic, and and of course it, it adds just a little more suspicion, a little more shadow when you understand. Well, wasn't she working on her? Hadn't she just completed a film about child mm-hmm. sex trafficking? And then it's like, okay, she had that. Wow. Now, and there's something here, and we're kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but actually not so much because it's actually true. Uh, a lot of the new cars have um, drive-by wire controls for things like throttle. Um, and uh, the transmission. In other words, there is no longer a mechanical, physical connection between your foot when you push down on the accelerator pedal and the engine's throttle. Instead, uh, the computer interprets data from the the, uh, the sensors that are in the pedal, and it tells the engine to speed up or not according to how much pressure you're putting on it. And also, when you move the gear selector from park into drive, you're not connected to any cables that are actually uh, causing a, a mechanical change to happen in the transmission. The computer is putting the transmission into whatever the, the gear is. And what I'm getting at here is that uh, these cars that are also Wi-Fi enabled and Wi-Fi connected, you know, they receive updates and so on over the air, could uh, potentially, um, you know, be, be made to run amok by somebody who had the ability to access the car's computer and tell the computer, hey, floor it. You know, uh, uh, or put the engine or, you know, you try to put the engine neutral or park to stop it to prevent that from happening. And the next step in this evolution is uh, a drive-by-wire steering and braking, which would give uh, potentially somebody the, the ability to completely control your vehicle remotely. 
Yeah. I, wasn't it, uh, was it Andrew Breitbart who died under mysterious circumstances yeah. in a car mm-hmm. crash? And it was like, yeah, well, his car, yeah. his car sped out of control. And, yep. you know, there, there were a lot of questions about that. And I, and I know there was, there was speculation at that time. Could it, could someone have possibly sabotaged it or remotely taken control of his car? I mean, I don't want to believe stuff yeah. like that is possible, much less that there are people who would be willing to do it. But you have to wonder. Well, the fact of the matter is it's technically feasible. That That is a fact. I can you know, tell you that as somebody who's familiar with the way these things work. And I've experienced it, actually. I think I uh, mentioned to you several years ago in another uh, conversation about the time that I was driving a uh, Toyota Prius hybrid. And the thing just stopped. The brakes uh, uh, applied themselves and the car just stopped dead in the middle of the road for a moment or two before it sort of, I guess, hiccuped and, uh, and I could get it going again. So it absolutely is possible. Yeah, where we're headed right now does not feel like a particularly safe place. And I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the grand scheme of things, you know, of what's, what's going on. Uh, you know, the 87,000 new IRS agents that are going to be, yeah. you know, hounding American taxpayers. Uh, that's, that seems to be a little, a little bit concerning. And that's just one of, mm-hmm. of many things that, that's going on. Well, sure. We've seen this now overt politicization of the apparatus of government to go after people being wrong, thinkful, uh, deemed to be unorthodox, enemies of the state, if you will. Uh, you know, we saw when, what went on in Canada where uh, people who wanted to support the, uh, the Freedom Convoy, the trucker protest, and threw a few bucks uh, at, the, at the people who were organizing it had their bank accounts and frozen. And in some cases, I think they were actually visited by cops in a really threatening manner simply for supporting a completely legal protest against the government action. And that sort of thing I think is going to happen here. They're bearing their fangs. They're letting us know, uh, you know, what they have in mind. They're, they're, they're becoming extremely brazen about it. Well, and, and it's it's been clear to anybody paying attention that, uh, you know, the, the Department of Justice and the FBI routinely turn their heads when there's leftist violence taking the place. But man, let just one person with any inkling of MAGA, you know, in their message, you know, do something and they will throw the book at them. Sure, absolutely. Uh, You know, it looks like they're going after the orange man full tilting. And as you know, because we've talked about this, uh, I'm in the awkward position of uh, not particularly liking the orange man based on some of his actions. But at the other hand, I very much dislike the double standard and the way that he is being uh, hounded and persecuted by uh, clearly uh, a federal apparatus that's just out to get him, and which is at the same time completely indifferent uh, to the overt criminal actions of other people. I don't think it was uh, it was uh, it was accidental that uh, during the raid last week on Trump's place in Florida, the president of the United States had his his, his crack smoking, <laughs> gun throwing in the trash can. Uh, escort service using influence peddling son very blatantly board Air Force One right beside the president. You know, that was a great big yep. middle finger, I think, to the American people. Yep. It's uh, I, I had wanted to get your take on on what could possibly come, you know, from this this raid on Trump. And I got to tell you, Eric, my first thoughts were, I wonder what uh, evidence they believe Trump has that, you know, could could bring down the the apparatus there in Washington, D.C.? I don't know. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of possibilities here, uh, ranging from the possibility that they might plant something there, uh, that it is just an attempt at intimidation, that it's a deliberate pro- provocation, that they hope that they might incite some person who is frustrated by what's going on to lash out in a way that they can then use 
uh, you know, and, and, and to then claim that anybody who, uh, who questions this, this woke leftist authoritarian regime is a threat to our democracy, you know, seditious and treasonous. You're, you know, you're, an, you're a, a, a member of the Orange Man Army, and we simply cannot tolerate these things because they're so dangerous to our democracy. That's the sort of thing I think that they're, they're trying to do. Well, and you heard the FBI director, uh, Ray, talk about, well, I'm very concerned about threats to law enforcement when people started questioning, yeah. you know, what exactly is his agency doing? And yet uh, you never sure. you never hear anything from anyone within the federal government, except maybe a few congressmen uh, who say, what about the threat that federal law enforcement poses to the average person? Well, and what about the threat that federal law enforcement poses to literally our democracy? We have the absolute incontrovertible yep. fact and acknowledged that a couple of FBI agents, Peter Strzok, and I forget who the other guy was, uh, lied before FISA court to uh, to create this little pandango when Trump was still president about him being Putin's pool, you know? Yep. Uh, and, they, and, and what they did was to create the impression of an illegitimate president an illegitimate election, you know, and now they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're up in arms about anybody who questions the 2020 election. This cognitive dissonance, uh, this hypocrisy is so blatantly on display that, uh, you know, I, I'm astounded that people are more repelled by it than they are. So it does raise some interesting possibilities as far as, uh, okay, how far are they willing to take this? And I'm not sure I want to know the answer to that. Well, I think we need to discuss the answer to that. I agree with you. It's a distasteful thing, and uh, it, it is, it's dangerous for us not to go down that road. So I think we must uh, and, and, and consider the possibility that these people are willing to do absolutely anything necessary uh, to hold on to power and to acquire more power. I think we'd be naive and foolish if we didn't stop to think about that a little bit. No, I, I agree. And, and of course, you know, we're not advocating that, well, the first thing you got to do is grab a rifle and go out there and get yeah. violent. No, 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 no. But, but it's very clear that uh, the people who are running things in Washington, D.C., are, are, they are gearing up for violence against us. And I'm not sure that I have a moral duty to sit back and just go along with it and, and participate and help enable my own enslavement, you know? No, absolutely not. And I, I think that fundamentally it's incumbent upon us to realize we are not dealing with fair people. It is not a question of misunderstanding. It's not a question of a different point of view. And, hey, let's let's discuss this and find it some kind of reasonable middle ground. We can get on into this more in the next segment. Okay, let's do it. Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos is my guest. We will be back just the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. All right, Eric, there's so much going on today. Sometimes it's hard to know yeah. where to begin. Uh, you had some other kind of sad news for me today about, uh, yeah. sounds like uh, the muscle car's days are numbered. Well, yeah, they're, they're, you can number them 365 days, uh, one more model year. Stellantis, which is the parent company of Dodge, which makes the, char the Charger and the Challenger and a number of other vehicles that have V8 engines, um, has said, you know, this is going to be the final model year for these vehicles. And to celebrate, this is the term that they use, to celebrate the passing of these great cars, uh, for which there is ample market demand, by the way. We'll get into that a bit more in a moment. Uh, they're going to have a number of inaugural models, or especially models, I should say, and 
Uh, they're going to bring back the, the Hellcat version of the Durango SUV available with the supercharged V8, but just for one more year, and that's it. And uh, we're supposed to celebrate that. And I, you know, I'm appalled by that because we're celebrating a death, an unnatural death, a needless death. You know, these vehicles are not going away because, oh, you know, people are tired of them and there's no market demand for it. Uh, it's because of the demands of the regulatory apparatus of the state that's making it impossible for Dodge uh, to continue to sell vehicles like that. And it's tragic. Yeah, that makes me pretty sad. And I mean, look, I gas is expensive. I'm not saying, hey, I want to get out there and, you know, go burn through a $20 bill with, no. a, with a nice uh, launch from the uh, on-ramp. But yeah. it just it, it's more evidence that uh, the walls are, in fact, closing in around us. Yeah, and they're calling it. But let me first say, you know, burn through a 20. Like, the fact of the matter is you can buy a V8-powered Challenger or Charger for considerably less than it costs to buy a Tesla Model 3. So, you know, you may not be burning gas, but you're going to be burning a lot of money when you're forced to buy an electric car because there's no other kind of car available. The other thing is they, they tout this as being eco-friendly. You hear that term a lot, and it's absolutely nothing, but it's the farthest possible thing from the truth to build these uh, extraordinarily expensive, extraordinarily power-consumptive and resource-defeating electric cars. You and I have talked about it before, but the typical electric car, something like the Tesla 3, which is a small car, by the way. It's only about the size of a Honda, uh, Honda Civic sedan, which is a compact. That thing has a 1,000-plus pounds of battery pack in it, uh, and it has something like 30 pounds uh, of lithium. It's got about 30-something pounds of graphene or graphite in it. These are very difficult-to-get materials that involve a lot of earth rate and a lot of power to get. And then you've got to generate all the power necessary to keep that battery charged up. They are the farthest thing from being eco-friendly. It's just another scam. And it's, it's the means by which they want to not get people into electric cars, but out of cars generally. Yep. I think, I think you're correct. And it, it, it rankles me because I, I'm not happy with the idea that, you know, not only are, are my finances about to be poured over by an armed uh, army of IRS agents, but I'm going to be expected to eat bugs and owe nothing and yep. like it. And uh, my, my transportation, my autonomy is going to be limited because, uh, as you have mentioned before, those electric cars, nifty as they may be, they bring with them a lot of those uh, controls. We were talking about, you know, the ability, of, you know, a person driving a Tesla, mm-hmm. you know, they can find mm-hmm. themselves absolutely shut down if they don't get the update. Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's becoming clear to get back to this issue of intentions, that it's no longer a question about uh, well-meant measures that you know they really believe that this is necessary. These are all pretexts that are being used to shear us of our freedom, uh, uh, literally in terms of our mobility, and then also in terms of our finances to insert us, to, to put us into a position where uh, we're desperate and dependent uh, on the government for whatever largesse it cares uh, to give us. And that's that's what this is all about. And I think the sooner more people wake up to this, the greater the odds are that we might be able to uh, put a monkey wrench in the machine. Now, I do want to celebrate just a little bit of good news, only because mm-hmm. it took a long time, but uh, looks like the truth is finally coming out. And the CDC has quietly, you know, uh, mm-hmm. adjusted its recommendations to recognize what people like you and I have been saying now for quite some time. There's no difference between well, vaccinated great. and unvaccinated. Well, I'm glad that they're doing that, but I think I think it's an obscenity that there have not been repercussions, that there hasn't been accountability. Think about the millions of people who have suffered as a result of this, including people whose businesses were destroyed, including some friends of mine that had that happen to them. 
uh, all, all of the, the tension uh, that was induced into people's personal relationships between husbands and wives and, and family members, the kid, the stuff that's been done to kids with the face diapering, all of this. There needs to be some form of accountability and compensation before we can get past this. No, I, I'm with you. And I know some people may think, well, that sounds kind of vindictive, but it's, it's not so much a matter of, hey, I just want to line up and throw rocks at them. I want to make sure that uh, nobody thinks of doing this again. That's right. And it's just, you know, we're not talking about an initial uh, miscalculation based on uh, fear of an unknown. You know, I'm willing to give uh, everybody the benefit of the doubt for the first, say, three or four months of the pandemic, so-called. But when it became very clear that it was exaggerated, that it was being deliberately exaggerated, hystericized, and that the so-called experts were purveying the most loathsome kinds of misinformation, like this business of standing six apart, there's absolutely no scientific or medical evidence to support the doing of that. And the same goes with the wearing of the ridiculous face diapers. And then the pushing of these vaccines, which we now know, it's not a question of opinion, it is a fact. They knew, the makers of them knew about the dangers, and they knew that they were not effective in terms of providing immunity. And they lied, and the government lied, and the corporations pushed it and forced it on people. It's an outrageous thing. Yeah, the people especially who lost jobs over, you know, not taking the the jab, um, they're do something. And and I don't think just an apology is going to cut it. They they need to be made whole. And, you know, as you say, it is imperative that we be striving on this. You remember when people would say never forget with regard to the Holocaust. Right. And that was important. We should never forget what was done to people in this country over this thing, ever, so that it never happens again. Exactly the same parallel. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad to say I'm, I'm pretty skeptical that, that Fauci is ever going to really answer, at least in this life. I, I do believe in a, in a universal justice that we all face, but... Man, I'll tell you, it's it's hard to see him smugly, you know, well, I never ordered any lockdowns. I didn't want to lock anything down when he clearly is on video saying, yes, I ordered the right. president. I told the president we should lock it all down, even though I knew it would cause economic damage. Yeah, there's no humanity in that man. You know, I, I wrote an article about it the other day wherein he expressed bafflement that people would be upset about having to be, you know, told that they must wear a mask. What's the big deal? Just wear a mask. You know, the effrontery of that. You know, he's not a dumb man. He knows exactly what wearing that mask meant and how it, 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 it enabled everything that went after it, including this forced vaccination thing, created this false impression of this, this deadly pandemic that we're all going to die from unless we do what we're told. And, you know, we close our businesses, destroy our lives, submit to being vaccinated like sheep. Uh, he knows that. And, and for him to express bafflement that people would object to that, it's just halting to me. Well... This this can get my blood pressure up, but uh, but I'm also reminded there are some things that are right in the world. One of those things that I yep. would like to celebrate with you, uh, my chickens have officially begun production. And outstanding. So, yes. have, have you had any to eat yet? Uh, we have. Yeah, we've. Uh, they're they're cranking out uh, between six chickens. We get about three eggs a day on average. Um, they're small because these guys are just starting. These gals are just starting out. Yep. But uh, lovely brown eggs, blue eggs, white eggs. It's uh, it's quite the. But tell quite me the about treat. tell me about the yolk. Tell me about the yolks. Oh, bright, bright orange. I mean, just mm-hmm. they're they're good, healthy things. My wife is excited because she just went on the keto diet here recently, and eggs are definitely you know on the menu. So she's she's thrilled. Absolutely. Yeah, once you see that and you compare it with weak yellow uh, flat yolks that you get when you crack open a store bought egg. 
you really become aware of the difference between authentic, healthy, real food and, and that sort of, I'll put it in air fingers close, food <laughs> that you get. Yeah. And it's, and it's, forgive me for putting it this way, but it's, it's one way that I can strike back at those who would, would try to put me in a cage of sorts, either literal or figurative. You know, this is providing for myself and for my family. And uh, frankly, it makes me feel good. makes me feel free. Absolutely. Eric, thanks so much for being my guest. I always feel better after talking with you. Better informed, sometimes a little alarmed, but always better knowing that somebody (laughs) gets it. Likewise, Brian. Thanks for having me as always. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out here to Garage Door Pros. They are one of my great sponsors, and I hope you'll do business with them, especially if you live in St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, or Colorado City. That's right there in that southwest corner of Utah. Look, if you are looking for a local company that installs services and repairs garage doors, Garage Door Pros are the guys you want to talk to. You can call them at 435-525-2773. Go to their website at garagedoorproservices.com. There is a link in my show notes under the sponsors. Better still, take a few minutes and just read some of the customer testimonials that to talk about the incredible, outrageously good service provided by Garage Door Pros. And when you talk to them, please tell them thanks for sponsoring this show. I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed at the realization of just how dirty the ruling class is doing us. But you're not alone. And if you felt ashamed because you thought, well, you know, first of all, none of us likes to admit that we're wrong. But it's also it it just sucks to realize that you have been played for a fool. Now, the good news is all of us have been played for fools at some point. But I want to share with you just a quick excerpt from Neil Oliver's thoughtful breakdown on how we're being taken for a ride. Now, it's about a 10-minute long video. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes just to give you a flavor, but I would encourage you, find the time to watch this video. I think this man has some great insights to offer. Check it out. To think the unthinkable, but there comes a time when there's nothing else for it. People raised to trust the powers that be who have assumed, like I once did, that the state, regardless of its political flavor at any given moment, is essentially benevolent and well-meaning, will naturally try and keep that assumption of benevolence in mind when trying to make sense of what's going on around them. People like us, you and me, raised in the understanding that we are free, that we have inalienable rights, and that the institutions of this country have our best interests at heart, will tend to tie ourselves in knots rather than contemplate the idea those authorities might actually be working against us now. I took that thought of benevolent, well-meaning authority for granted for most of my life. God help me. Not to put too fine a point on it, I was as gullible as the next chump. A couple of years ago, however, I began to think the unthinkable. And with every passing day, it becomes more and more obvious to me that we are no longer being treated as individuals entitled to try and make the most of our lives, but as a barn full of battery hens, just another product to be bought and sold, sold down the river. Let me put it another way. If you've been driving yourself almost demented in an effort to think the best of those in charge, 
those in senior positions in government, those in charge of the great institutions of state, those running the big corporations, but finding it increasingly impossible to do so, then the solution to the problem might be to turn your point of view through 180 degrees and accept, however unwillingly that we are, how best to put this, being taken for a ride. When you find a stranger's hand on your wallet, in the inside pocket of your jacket, rather than trying to persuade yourself he's only making sure it doesn't fall out, it might be more straightforward to draw the conclusion you're in the process of being robbed. Once the scales fall from a person's eyes, the resultant clarity of sight is briefly overwhelming. Or it's like being handed a skeleton key that opens every locked door, or access to a Rosetta Stone that translates every word into a language instantly understood. I'm going to stop it there, but uh, look, if you, I know he's got a little bit of a Scottish brogue there, but uh, wow, dang. He's, he is identifying something that I have found kind of troubling from the standpoint of, um, I, I ask this often of friends, I'm like, how is it that people can't see, or, or in some cases won't see what's right in front of their eyes? And I've been guilty of this myself, so it's not like, well, why are they, why are they not as smart as I am? Because, no, they're, they're, they're probably much smarter, but smart doesn't have anything to do with recognizing when someone is taking advantage. I love his example of when there's a stranger's hand on your wallet in your inside pocket. Would you really look for a reason to believe, well, they're just trying to help me and, you know, just trying to keep it from falling out or otherwise being misappropriated? No, you'd be like, what the heck are you doing? You trying to steal something from me? But for some reason, we have this blind spot. When something is being proposed, or for that matter, when it's being done by government, we tend to think, well, you know, it's for a good reason, or, you know, this is something we really shouldn't push back against. You know, we should be supportive, you know, right? We should, we should support our leaders. Okay, I'm going to use this as an example, just because I know this is on a lot of people's minds, but... Um, I think it was Thomas DiLorenzo has a wonderful piece on LouRockwell.com today. Alexander Bidenton. <laughs> yes, he's, he's conf- conflating uh, Biden with Alexander Hamilton. And there are some parallels there that are definitely worth looking at. But Biden is in, in the passage of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is as Orwellian as it gets, it does nothing to uh, to negate the inflation that's going on that we're all feeling right now. But what it does is arms and hires, seriously, 80, 000, almost 87,000. I'm sorry, the fact checkers said it's only 86,500, not 87. So therefore, we find this mostly false. No, 87,000 IRS agents. Now, tell me that that's not a, a, an uh, escalation on the part of government. And when you consider how government can can use the IRS to not only go after people, and we've seen this before under the Obama administration. Oh, your organization's a little too patriotic, so we're going to have the IRS, you know, give you a good thorough audit, just make sure that everything's on the up and up. And that's how they would punish their political enemies. That kind of stuff still goes on. But get this, if uh, the IRS comes after you, and, and keep in mind, the tax code is as close to incomprehensible as, as you're likely to see in this lifetime. If you get something wrong, you are convicted of some kind of tax evasion or tax fraud. Easy to do, even as a simple paperwork error. That is potentially a felony. And with a felony, you don't get to vote. We're going to take away your guns. 
You know, you have you get to live like Jean Valjean, carry that yellow slip of paper with you everywhere you go. I mean, why would you need to go around confiscating guns from people when just uh, pick them off one by one, find them in some kind of uh, uh, of tax error? Of course, it'll be called a crime, right? But convict them of some sort of tax crime and then strip them of their rights. Now shut up and go back to work. I mean, to me, this seems like a massive escalation. And I know we're not supposed to question what people in the federal government are doing. That's violence to even question it. Bullcrap. We are being pushed toward violence. And this is not the choosing of the American people. This is not the choosing of patriotic souls who simply want to be left alone to pursue happiness. And they don't need that heavy boot of government standing on their neck. But here it comes. And it's coming because people in power fear that they are about to lose their, do- their domination of the culture and of politics. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty big nightmare scenario. It's, it's ugly. But it's not the kind of thing that uh, we should be turning our eyes from. And uh, it's not really there. I mean, I'm not saying you need to spend all of your time obsessing over it. Because it is kind of discouraging, but it's definitely something you need to be aware of. And I would hope be thinking in terms of what moves, what counter moves can I be making to improve my position? First and foremost, you know, hopefully I'm not encouraging anybody to commit a crime by saying this, but don't keep all your eggs in one basket. Probably be a good idea to uh, divvy up your assets. I'll let you define assets however you see fit. But have them, uh, have them spread out. A couple of reasons for this. Number one, if you're unlucky enough for this uh, new, kinder, gentler IRS to come and raid your house with an armed raid, you're not as likely to lose everything if the unthinkable should happen. Secondly, by having your, your resources spread out, you're not as likely to make a tactically futile stand when you have uh, something to fall back on. You know how much it sucks to even be, be saying these words, to even be contemplating this possibility? It, it sucks more than I can express. I like to think of myself as uh, somewhat of a wordsmith. So if, if I've reverted to where I'm just telling you, hey, that sucks, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's, <laughs> we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here in terms of how do you convey just how rotten this is. Take a look at Neil Oliver's analysis this is a this is so well spoken and and i think he he hits a nerve that a lot of people will identify with most of us used to look for reasons to believe some people still do in fact some people do obsessively i just want a reason to believe any reason that uh, that this is good and it's normal and and that uh, government really is looking out for my interests you know, we don't have to force people into saying uncle. Admit it. They're there to screw you over, and <laughs> that's that's what they're all about. They're going to pick up on it eventually. Just remember, we're all somewhere in that journey, right? We're all trying to figure out what's going on. And sometimes the truth hurts. This is one of those painful truths, but I'd rather have painful truth than comforting lies simply because it gives me more options of how to proceed. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a shout out to two of my sponsors here. HSLAmmo.com as well as LifesavingFood.com. There are links that you will find in my show notes. It'll take you directly to each of these sponsors. You can find my show notes at TheBrianHydeShow.com. In fact, I would encourage you, if you haven't subscribed, take a minute, hit that subscribe button, share your email address with me. It goes no further than me. I don't share it with anybody else. I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to lend it. I'm not going to give it to anybody. It's just so I can send you a copy of my show notes, which I do every day that I do the show. I include numerous links to the various authors and various guests that I have, and you'll find a lot of good reading. In fact, I'm going to include an article today that uh, really took me by surprise, but boy, I like this a lot. This is from Kevin Dickinson, and it's from BigThink.com. The title is The Value of Owning More Books Than You Could Read. And I didn't realize there's actually a book, there was actually a name for this. Um, Sunduko? Sundoku? I'm probably saying it wrong, but the Japanese call it Sundoku. And apparently uh, there are a lot of folks out there, myself included, who have more books in our personal library than we can possibly read. I mean, if you break the numbers down, and there was a statistician, I think his name is uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who, who broke down how long it would take to sit there and read, you know, all of the books in, in his library. And he realized, you know what? I'm only going to scratch the surface. I won't ever get to all of these books. But that's okay. And this article explains why. The guilt you have over a fear of missing out or unread volumes, you know, sitting there collecting dust on your shelves. That's a very real anxiety. And I've experienced it too. But the article says it's possible this guilt is entirely misplaced. Because those unread volumes represent what uh, Nassim uh, Nicholas Taleb calls a, an anti-library. And he says that anti-libraries are not a sign of intellectual failing, actually. They're quite the opposite. Apparently, an anti-library says, it says this about you. Red books are far less valuable than unread ones. You know why? Because those unread books represent what you do not know. And this is what Taleb deduces. He says, uh, you know, your library should contain as much of what you don't know as your financial means, mortgage rates, and currently tight real estate market allows you to put there. You will accumulate more knowledge and more books as you grow older, and the growing number of unread books on the shelf will look at you menacingly. In fact, the more you know, the larger the rows of unread books. But he says, let us call this collection of unread books an anti-library. So the idea here is, you know, you don't just get these books. Okay, I can check it off. I've read this and, you know, maybe you're really smart. I've memorized this. Go ahead, quiz me on it. But those unread books serve as a reminder, kind of a spur, if you will, to, to get you to pick up those books and to show some intellectual humility. See, these shelves of unexplored, these shelves of unexplored ideas, rather, are what propel us to continue reading, to continue learning, and to never get comfortable or think, well, I know enough. Now, people who lack that kind of intellectual humility, those without a yearning to acquire new books or to visit their local library, 
they might enjoy a sense of pride and yes, I've read every book in my collection, but such a library provides all the use of a wall-mounted trophy. It's just an ego-boosting appendage for decoration alone. Not a living, growing resource we can learn from until we're 80 and, if we're lucky, a few years beyond. See, and there's another aspect here, too. And it's the idea that those books will eventually find their way into the hands of those who come after us. Now, maybe you've heard me talk about this before. I know our mothers taught us, do not write in books. We don't write in books, especially with pen. But some of the dearest possessions that I have are books that belonged to mentors and friends that I've met throughout my life who took the time to write their personal annotations. They'd underline passages. They'd write questions about it or observations. This reminds me of such and such. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's one of the most incredible gifts you can give people. Because someday, when you and I are not here, and I'm sorry to be a bummer, but that's, that's going to happen at some point, someone will want to read those books, and they will be able to do so with the advantage of having you, or at least your thoughts, right there with them. Now, if it's somebody you love, or if it's someone that you have been mentoring, or you know, a grandchild, or, or a son or daughter, it's all the better. I love those old books, especially those old books that have writing in them on the, on the margins, where dear friends have made the annotations and shared their wisdom with me, even though they have been gone for many years. It's kind of tough to describe. Probably sounds a bit weird. I'm okay if you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> sure you don't want to just have a Ouija board or something like that? It's, it's another reason, though, to have books that you can pass on to the people who will follow. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on kind of a tougher note uh, here. Um, the fourth turning crisis is building to its climax. This should be obvious. And there's a great article on AmericanThinker.com. This is by J. Robert Smith. Buckle up, tough times are coming. Now, he gives a pretty good recounting here of just a few of the recent developments that show us uh, things are not settling down, things are not going to calm down, and it's all just going to settle, and, you know, everything's going to go back to normal. We're done with normal for the time being. And that means that we're going to be tested. And I don't say that, you know, with any sense of, ha ha, serves you right. It's going to be painful. I think all of us are going to feel, um, we're going to feel challenged in ways that we've never been challenged before. We're going to be tried in ways we've not been tried. We're going to be proven in ways that will surprise us. We might actually learn some pretty positive things about ourselves. J. Robert Smith talks about uh, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. He says, you know, this is, this is uh, it's not the Democrats' last attempt to foreclose, to foreclose Donald Trump's presidential run. In fact, he says, that raid was just a salient in an ongoing war. And even if the, the establishment finds a way of barring Trump from running, the door then opens for DeSantis. You can bet that they loathe DeSantis as much as they do Trump. But he says the Democrats and their allies at this point are in a desperate hour. Theirs is not an ascendant movement. It's actually faltering. This is why the desperation is coming through. This is why they're resorting to strong-arm tactics, illegality, and conniving. Ascendant movements enjoy broadening popular support. Majorities form around them and create mandates. The Democrats right now do not have any such backing. In fact, he says with each passing day, Biden's and Democrats' failures become more apparent and painful to average Americans. 
I mean, think about it. The economy's shaky. Inflation and energy costs continue rising. Crime spikes in big cities. Woke and sexual indoctrination of, of school kids. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. It's a meeting with growing backlash. Democrats' police state gambits repel people who'd otherwise otherwise take a pass on politics. In fact, he says there's sheer incompetence, serial failures, and uh, tyrannical overreach are undercutting their authority. So they're afraid. They're anxious. I mean, looming ahead is the fall of their establishment's thousand-year Reich. Desperation will drive establishment factions to more and perhaps even greater acts of illegality and shows of force or worse. That IRS hiring of 87,000 agents who will carry guns and use deadly force if necessary. It's being transformed into an armed intimidation racket. Pretty crazy stuff. And if the 2024 elections aren't sufficiently rigged and Trump wins, he'll make his four years in office about slamming the gates of hell on liberty's foes. If the elections are sufficiently rigged and Trump loses, then we sail into uncharted waters. The author here says, heaven help us. His point is simply this. We who reject the great resets, the build back betters, and the elites whose conceits drive them to act as our overlords, we reject their Russia collusion hoax, their Ukraine hoax, the great Mar-a-Lago panty raid, and all that, but this war is being waged for all the marbles. And so he says, it's time to prepare for the days ahead. Arm yourself with knowledge and arguments. Be apostles of liberty, spreading the word to all who will listen. Speak truth to power, smartly and civilly, but speak up. Join with like-minded Americans in your communities to build bulwarks against coming assaults. I think that's really important, by the way, at the community level. That's where it's going to make the difference. And stand unflinchingly shoulder to shoulder, he says, with Trump, DeSantis, and other patriots to bring about the demise of tyranny on our shores. Okay, I don't lean as heavily on the uh, political solutions. So I I may beg to differ a little bit with J. Robert Smith there, but facing the facts, that's got to be a high priority. Recognizing that big government is voracious and it's eating things up as quickly as it can. That's a priority, too. What are you doing to better your position? This is The Brian Hyde Show.